This is the Leading Second Podcast. We're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Leading Second, what's up? Welcome back to Season 3 of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart. So excited you're here today for what is going to be a crucial, vital, even life-saving conversation for someone listening today, maybe even a team listening today. Uh, We're so glad you're here. Hey, uh, quick housekeeping before we get in quickly to today's conversation. Uh, If you're not a part of our Facebook group, uh, the Leading Second Collective, I want to invite you to come and join us there. That is the place we're doing life. We're having exclusive calls and conversations right now. Uh, it's the place where we're asking questions. Just come and join us. Do life. Do community with other leaders. You are not alone in this season. And we would love to have you on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. Uh, today, funny thing, we had a plan for this fall for our episodes for the Leading Second podcast, and I changed plans to bring you today's conversation. Today, you're going to hear from a good friend of mine and Leading Second. His name is John Morgan. Uh, And today, our conversation, when I said life-saving earlier, I meant it. Uh, We're going to talk about identifying and guarding against division in our lives, in our churches. This is no doubt uh, the greatest battle we're fighting right now globally as the local church, is division. And John uh, taught in a staff meeting at my home church earlier this week, and I loved it so much. I had to bring the conversation to you, so I called him and we talked it through. And uh, some of you today, he's going to minister right where you're at or give you the tools to help minister to others who are in your world. Uh, John is a coach, a strategist, and a communicator who uh, lives to see the local church healthy and thriving. He travels, he works with leaders, he speaks to church services. You ought to have him to your church. He's just a gift. Uh, There's very few people that have had the imprint on my life and my revelation of Leading Second as John Morgan. Uh, You're going to love this conversation today. It's going to hit you square between the eyes as only an Enneagram 8 can do. So, hey, without further ado, here it is today, my conversation with John Morgan on identifying and guarding against division. Well, what's up, John? Good to be talking with you today. How are things in Chicago? How are things in your world? I am unbelievably fantastic. Thank you. COVID uh, has seen your family move forward in this season. You uh, not only have a new uh, son or son-in-law, but you uh, you had another addition to your family. And son born last month, so... It's been a big year. My middle daughter got married. I have a yep. son in love. I think that's the Christian term. Yes, there you go. There son you go. in love, which uh, sounds good when you're in church, but when you're at the gym and you're like, hey, son in love, come over here. <laughs> this boy sounds a bit, and he's like 310 pound of muscle. So uh, doesn't work good. Yeah. And then, uh, then my baby, she had a baby. So little Marcus, Marcus Luttrell. So my Amazing. first grandchild. So. Amazing. We're happy for you guys. And we love you. We love Anna. You both have had um, such a voice into our tribe leading second. But more than that, um, there, there's very few people, if, if any, that have had such an impact on Lindsay and I personally. You 
and, and our conversations years ago when you were kicking my butt at the gym as an intern, making me barf back in the days, um, those conversations are really some of the places where my, my revelation on leading in the middle and what has now become leading second really, really began with some of our conversations and your imprint on my life. So we love you so much. And thanks yeah, for we love you guys and proud, proud of the ministry that you, you're doing and all the churches that you're impacting and it, and just raising up a generation of people that are comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Not trying to race out and yeah. press anybody with a ministry that they're not called to do. Totally. If we can, the, the more we can save out of that, the better. Um, well, I'm going to be honest on this conversation today. Um, we had another plan for these next few weeks of, of the podcast, but you did a staff meeting at my home church a couple of days ago, champion center. And, um, you just so, um, you, you so impacted me, you impacted our team. I just wanted to bring it to the podcast today. And I felt like it had, it's a conversation that is now for young leaders, for the church. And so today we're going to talk on identifying and guarding against division in the church. And, um, I just can't think of a more important conversation. So you messed up our whole schedule and our team is now last minute editing. And I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be great. (laughs) So unusual for me. No, that's never happened. That's never happened. So, Hey, tell me, first of all, I know you and I were talking before we pushed recording today. I mean, the church is obviously in a unique season, but I have found it so funny. I think you do too. Uh, We seem to be wanting to like find the exit to this season. And while none of us know where the exit is, I think, first of all, we've got to get a little bit comfortable in this season because I don't know that we're out of this anytime soon. And I think that's why this message matters is, um, it's not like November 3rd or something coming up, you know, changes things. Maybe just speak to that for a minute and just kind of share your perspective on this season that we're in as a church. You know, I think when everything first went down, I think most of us, uh, had the plan that Easter was the end. (laughs) Right. And if we could just, you know, and everyone scrambled and mobilized and shifted things up and, you know, and then aimed for Easter. And then I think when Easter (laughs) hit and then we got through it and we're like, Oh my gosh, we're still in this. Um, then I, I think we, we realized, no, we could be this in a little bit, you know, longer. And then, you know, I spoke to people, I had one guy, he's like, yeah, you got to understand, you know, this is a pandemic. And this is all designed to get uh, President Trump out of office and it'll all be done. It'll all be over in November 3. And, and there's a whole heap of people that bought into that, you know, thinking and probably even listening to the podcast may still, you know, think that unless this is played after November 3. And uh, and I, I get where those people are coming from, but it, it really is a very small uh, American perspective. And as I said to this person, I was like, I'm not saying it's not going to be ended November three, but what you're saying by that is that pretty much every major economy around the world, Australia, New Zealand, England, France, Germany, Asia, Africa, Peru, um, India, they all decided, you know, we want to influence the American election. So we're all going to crash <laughs> our economy simultaneously together <laughs> and destroy millions and millions of lives just to control an election that's like about 10 months away. But they couldn't wait. They're like so desperate. They couldn't wait. So, um, you know, I I just, I'm not, I, I don't have an end time 
for this. Right. I don't right. know when it's going to finish. Everybody's at a different perspective. Um, but I, I think that we could still be in this mode or the after effects of it well into 2021. Yeah. I, I would love it to be over as soon as possible. Uh, but I just don't know. And what we've got to do is rather than just hope our way out of the season, we've got to become fruitful in the season. Yes. On Jeremiah 29, uh, you know, we, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We love to quote that, you know, plans to for welfare and not of harm, plans to give you a future and a hope. We love to quote that that scripture. But the context of that scripture is Israel's just gone into captivity. Right. In Jeremiah 28, the prophets are like, you're out of here in two years. This will be over November 3. This is a pandemic. You know, it's not going to last. And then yes. God says in Jeremiah 29, he's like, nay, nay, you guys are going to be in here for a season. And then he, then he gives how long the season is. Build houses, plant gardens, eat the fruit. So it's at least a season there of planting a garden right. and being able to harvest the fruit. Then he goes, I want you to get married. I want you to have children. I want your children to get married. I want your children to have children. So he's now selling this thing. It's probably going to be longer. And then he drops right. the bomb. You're going to be here for 70 years. Um, this is, and I'm not saying that we're going to be in this for 70 years. I'm <laughs> saying in that they yes. have short, we're out of here. It's going to be quick. God's like, no. And, and in that, then he's like, I want you to do that. I want you to build a house. I want you to plant God. In, in other words, I want you to thrive. Yes. The season. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be captives in your own season of captivity. And then he goes, for I know the plans I have for you, which is a plan in that season that they're in. Like yeah. this all caught us by surprise, but it didn't catch God by surprise. That's right. So God wasn't in shock and awe when we went, he, he knew it was going to happen. Um, so he says, I know the plans I have for you for the future and for now. So, you know, I believe that, if we own the season, we can thrive in the season. We, we don't have to balk at the season, even yeah. as unpleasant as it is. Yep. Couldn't agree with you more. And you've been in ministry over three decades. And um, my question for you is, have you ever seen division in the church like we're seeing right now? Well, I've seen division in local churches. You know, just the one-off local church having some division, either elders getting crazy or, you know, people <laughs> leaving or yeah. whatever, yeah. Uh, or pastor doing some things, not not smart. So I've seen division in local churches. I've been in church movements and seen a division in a church movement, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't recall ever seeing division so global and affecting mm you know, so many people simultaneously. And it's like every second phone call I was having with churches I'm coaching or pastors I'm yep. helping yep. or leaders talking about these people are leaving and and they're leaving over division. Like a friend of mine uh, had people leave his church because they closed down too quickly with the pandemic. Right. And then when they started to reopen and they're not even totally reopened yet, but they mentioned reopening, lost people in their church because they were going to, reopen and then you know he's had and just the the opinion so divided that you know i think barna said recently over 35 percent of people have left the church this year mm. and and normally in a, you know your average church year you're going to have about 20 percent of your people move in and out so either you know because of division or 
uh, or promotion or God calling them out or or whatever, and 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 you don't really notice it because if your inflow is greater than your outtake, right, it, it doesn't right. seem to be as weighty because you hear about the people getting saved and you hear yep. about the people joining the church and your and your on ramping is going great, but this year because all those things are not like normal and we're not gathering in, in, in buildings to see it ourselves. All you seem to hear about is this one's leaving. These people are gone. These are out. And it just, and, and leaders have been carrying, especially senior pastors carrying huge burdens. And, and I think some people taking it personally, like, like it's their deal rather than identifying that this is actually a spiritual attack. Right. Which that was exactly where I wanted to get to. Do you think as believers, and as leaders right now, we need to identify the source of the attack that, that this is, this is truly not a, a political attack. And it, it, like you said, if we make it about American politics, it really undersells the, the, I think the gravity of what we're going through globally. This is, this is not just a racial attack. I mean, would you agree? This is, this is, this is spiritual attack and it is important that we see it because I think some people right now aren't seeing it. Yeah, Ephesians says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our, our fight is not a physical fight. So it's not political. It's not racial. It's not pandemic versus pandemic. It's not <laughs> red versus blue. Yep. It's not like wearing a mask is caring or wearing a mask makes you a communist. It's not, yep. you know, it's, it's a spiritual attack. This is, the, the Bible says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's waiting for an opportunity. He, he's waiting for a just a, an, an opening. And I think that uh, 2020 was a perfect storm to be able to try to come in and and create division. Absolutely. And talk to us for a minute because you you shared this so well with our team the other day. Just quite simply, God hates division. And he, he hates it in, in his church, in his bride, his, in Jesus' body, the body of Christ. Um, and I think sometimes we, we forget that like the New Testament leaders and writers, they saved some of their harshest writings toward division and guarding against division. I mean, what, what would you have to say about that? I, I just think that no, nothing grieves the heart of God more than division in his church. Well, because it's so close to his heart. Bible says that God loves unity. So Psalm 133 is all about behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Yep. And anytime God's multiplying language, behold how good and pleasant. He's, he's it's a highlighter pen. It's capital letters. It's you know asterisks around it. It's God trying to let you know, hey, if you want to know what what I, what I like and what I love, this is it. And this is brethren dwelling together in unity. The word together in unity is the exact same word in the Hebrew. So it's not just being together in a crowd, but it's together in one. So we come together in units as individuals, uh, but we come together as a unit. So yeah. we're, we're knitted together as individuals in unity. And then equally so, uh, he says that, that he hates those who sow discord amongst the brethren. Mm. And so he, he loves unity when people come together and he hates those who sow discord. And, you know, uh, God hates division uh, because it's so close to his heart. You know, the kingdom of heaven was divided. A third of the angels fell in division. 
uh, Garden of Eden, um, lost everybody hmm. through division. Yep. Uh, in uh, Israel, you know, divided. Uh, Jesus uh, had, um, you know, disciples with him and, uh, and people leaving. There's, you know, his own ministry as the people left at, at such a, a, a great amount of people. At one point, he turned to the disciples and like, are you guys going to go? And they weren't like, no, we love you. They're like, where are we going to go? It's like, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, and then all the New Testament, Paul's writing against people trying to create division and, you know, disharmony. So it's pretty. It's very close to the heart of 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 God, and it's the devil's number one strategy. He he knows if he can divide us, he can conquer us. Yep. Kingdom divided against itself will not stand. So let's let's get into what's probably the heart of this conversation, the heart of your message, and that is being able to identify division. And you give a number of steps, and I'm just going to kind of let you go on this for a minute, if you would. I think it's important that we that we know where it comes from, that we be able to see it. And um, I'd love if you just share with us for a couple minutes to how to identify the steps of division in our lives and in our churches. So if you go back to the Garden of Eden, the original, uh, you know, the serpent coming in, the Bible says that the serpent wasn't more intelligent or stronger. Uh, or more dominant, it just says that the serpent was more cunning. And so, you know, the Bible says, no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. So it's not like the enemy, like the devil can reach into some cauldron in a back room somewhere <laughs> and create a brew, you know, like wing of bat, <laughs> eye of newt, leaf of kale, and, and some, you know, a potion that he can get us to drink that he can, you know, he's, right. he, he can't, he's not more powerful uh, he, he's not stronger. Bible says, resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil. He'll flee. He's limited, uh, to things that are common. And so th- what we need to do is if he can keep us ignorant, the Bible says, we're not ignorant of his schemes or ignorant of his designs. Right. If he can c- keep us ignorant, then he can have dominion. But if we know what he's doing, we can identify it. He can never win. Mm. So we're, we're, we're actually supposed to have the victory. The devil's not supposed to get the victory. So right back there in the garden, he uses this strategy that he just uses over and over and over again. So the first thing is he, he leads us into a place of isolation. So the scripture says that he spoke to the woman, mm-hmm. speak to a couple. He spoke to the woman. He got a woman on the, on the side and he just spoke to uh, the woman. And isolation is, is the, the devil's number one uh, strategy. If he can, if it can divide us, he can uh, conquer us. So when, when, when uh, scripture talks about the church, it talks about it being a bride and it talks about being a, a, a body. So, so the bride is, is God's answer to the original problem of isolation. Wow. Yeah. Adam's on his yeah. own in the garden and God said, it's not good for man to be alone which is the answer to everybody who's like, I don't need the church. It's just me and God. Yep. And, and God's like, no, it's, you're alone. Right. It was just God and Adam. So God looked at that and said, Adam, it's not good. I know it's just you and me, but right. this, is, this is not good. This is not, you know, I, you, you need to be in community. You need to have partnership. So the New Testament talks about the church being the bride. We're supposed to be connected to the bride. We're supposed to be in relationship with each other. 
And then he described the church as a body that were individuals, we're unique, we're different, but every part makes up this part of the body. So if you're a hand or you're a foot or you're an eye or you're an ear, um, all those things are, look okay when they're connected to the body. Yep. But if you walk into a room and there's just an eyeball <laughs> sitting on a bench, you'd be like, yep. What, what, you know, or a hand, you know, just sitting, you'd be like, this is gross. Well, why is it gross? If you look at a hand on the end of your arm, it's not gross. If you look at a hand disconnected from your arm, dismembered, it's gross. Yep. It's not connected to the body. Yep. So we're not, we're not created to be in isolation. We're not created to be disconnected. And generally, you know, people are a target for the enemy when they're alone. Yep. Um, David was supposed to be at war with the kings. He decided to stay home and he was tempted with Bathsheba. Jesus was in the wilderness alone, and the enemy came to him when he's alone. If he can isolate us, if he can disconnect us, then he can, he can go to work in our life. And 2020 was a perfect storm of isolation. Yep. When that lockdown came, I think the isolation is probably um, the number one cause of all the craziness in our society because we just got locked down, separated from everybody, disconnected from everybody, locked up in our homes. You can't go out. You know, mental illness was, was, was risen. Um, you know, we're just not supposed to be alone. And that's how the enemy, you know, works with us because then you get lost in your own thoughts. You get lost in your own yep. opinions. You get lost in your own world. You get disconnected from everybody else. No one can love you. No one can challenge you. And so, you know, this year has been a perfect storm for that. And uh, I think one of the things that we may not have got right in the lockdown phase as a church is that we scrambled to produce a church service. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I, I love church. I think we need the preaching. But it's like everyone scrambled to go online. Mm. And then probably from mm. March until not long after Easter, man, we so mobilized. People were online all the time. Like every second Facebook post you picked up was some pastor doing a message and another teaching. Oh, yeah. My, my Instagram lives, you'd have eight, eight and ten across at any given moment. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone, you know, all the services and online and, yeah. you know, and it was just bombarded with content and we mobilized. And so pastors doing Sunday services and Monday night things and Wednesday night teaching and Friday and, and church staffs were mo staff was mobilized to get that content online. And I just don't think we call people. Uh, wow. Wow followed up with people and, you know, I was, we, we didn't mobilize our teams or our teams were mobilized and they didn't see it as valuable. The need to make a phone call, yep. the need to FaceTime with people, the need to do small groups and, and we left people in isolation. Mm. And mm. so, you know, if they're church staff right now, we're not out of it. So if, if we made that mistake early in the year, you don't need to make that mistake now. Right. And I think as churches are starting to come back in person, I know this to be true for some churches, when they started to come back in person and they started to call up their teams and say, hey, we need you to volunteer on Sunday, those teams were going, 
I haven't heard from you since March. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you only want to have a relationship oh. with me so I can help you build your team? Jesus, help us. Jesus. Like, where, where were yeah. you in April? Yeah. Checking out how I, you know, like finding out how I'm going without a job or finding out whether we got food on the table. And so I just think that a lot of people started feeling used and, and unimportant because we didn't, we left them in isolation. And when you leave them in isolation, then they just create their own dialogue. You know, they don't feel so. I think, I think that, and, and, and the other, the other part about it too is unless you in any crisis and, and if there's leaders listening, you don't have to apply this just to COVID, but any crisis at any crisis I've dealt with over the years, whether it be helping a church whose past has committed immorality or uh, helping a church that's been through a split or some sort of like a major, uh, even um, uh, a friend, a mutual friend of ours who, when his church, he, he ended up with a brain issue mm. and was in a coma for like, I think yeah. like a month or two. It was, it was yeah. a long time. Yep. I, I was there helping that church during that time. In any major crisis, what happens is when the crisis hits, you've got to imagine it like a rock hitting a pond. So the rock hits the water and then immediately once the rock hits the water, all the water gathers up around the rock in the center. Mm. And, and what happens is in the crisis, if you ask the church like the next week or in that time, how's things going, you're going to hear things like, man, things have never been as good. <laughs> so uh, people true. Are in unity. It's so we're true. We're stronger than we've ever been before. Our services have more of the presence of God than we've ever experienced. And they all say things are amazing. And it, what it does, it creates false hope. So again, COVID hit, boom, rock in the pond. You're talking to people. Oh my gosh, we used to only have 2,000 people attending, but we had like 45 million watching us online. You know, we used to get 20 views, and last week we had 5,395 views on Facebook. And man, our, our our income is up, and our attendance is bigger than ever, and we're reaching people in Afghanistan. Those those were the conversations. <laughs> And it was like, and what happens is everyone's like, we're all good. Like everything's great. But then the ripples are out to the edge of the pond and the, 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 the ripples that they're going to die out first are the ones on the extremities. Yep. And if you don't deal with the extremities of the church, yep. if you're not making phone calls, visiting, calling, note cards, FaceTime, you know, any sort of a chat, any sort of connection to the extremities, the ones right on the edge, those ripples die out and you don't even notice that those ripples are gone until you get closer in. And by the time you're closer in, 50% of your church is disconnected. Yep. And they've lost heart. They've been discouraged. They're falling off. They're attending somewhere else. You know, uh, no one's called them. No one's visited. No one cares. The enemy comes in and says, no one cares about you. You don't matter. They're only into it, you know. And th this is so important. I'm just going to, I guess, pause here for one second because I know we're talking about identifying division, but this is really interesting to me in, in terms of the it's the crowd that falls off a lot of times before the core. And what's happening, you've probably seen this this summer, is we, we used to measure engagement in church by butts and seats on the weekend and and offerings. And that was like a, a measure of, of strength. Well, well, attendance is gone or in, in a large part is gone. 
And then because the core is still relatively engaged, you know, a lot of giving, you probably saw this stayed fairly consistent in a lot of places uh, over the course of the summer. And it was like this false sense of we're all good. Where in the meantime, all the new people that were just coming into the church or those that were a little more fringe or whatever, I don't think we had a great way to um, identify that and get to them. And I think that to, to your point in kind of these early these early months of the repercussions of this, I think that's where a lot of the the disconnect is happening. Yeah, and I, I don't have a any data on this, but if you just go with you know rules of thumb, you know the Pareto principle: twenty percent of your people yeah. do eighty percent of the work, eighty yeah. percent do twenty percent. I think you know twenty percent of your church are giving eighty percent of your income. 80% of the church giving 20% wow. of their income. So if the Pareto principle plays out, then you, your 20 are the people that are closest in the center yep. and they're providing 80% of the income. Yep. Then the next part of that 20% is not, probably doesn't even go out to the 80. There's probably just another 20 hmm. that are your volunteers. And they, they normally say the amount of volunteers you have measures uh, your giving units. So if people are volunteering and they're on team, then, you know, they've got skin in the game, so they're going to be your biggest givers. So if you take that as 40%, they're the people closest in, then you go out. So you probably don't even notice your income going down. Well, I mean, your people leaving because your income's not going down, matching up with the people that are leaving right, right. On, on, those, on that edge. And, it, you know, the enemy's just waiting for an opportunity to divide those people off. Yep. Okay. Um, man, I could literally talk shop with you on this all day. Um, but moving back to the identifying the steps of division, um, the second one you brought up with the, the other day is, um, how the enemy gets you to second guess authority. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, the, so, so the, the devil says, did God actually say, did God actually say, you know, you shall need not, not eat off, off the tree in the garden. So did he really, really, did he really mean that? Was that really, what he was in, in intending uh, of you. And so that's the, 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 the enemy will get you to sort of second guess, you know, the authority of, of leaders. Why are they doing that? Why are they calling? You know, why aren't they calling? Why have they got to do it this way? You know, so there'll be a, there's a, a desire in people to uh, not trust authority. Yep. And so scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, though you have a, a countless guides, I think the new King James says 10,000 instructors in Christ, you yeah. do not have many fathers. fathers. And so you have a lot of people giving their opinion um, on how you should think and how you should live, but they have zero commitment to your well-being. And online in this COVID season, just a, you know, plethora of opinions on, on online that can be differing to uh, your church. And so if, you're, if your past is like, um, man, we, we need to get back together, then, you know, we need to gather together and, and, and come back as a church, then you got all the opinions online yep. of why you shouldn't. And, you know, if your pastor wants you to gather, I, 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 I mentioned this the other day, I think, when Pastor Kevin was saying to the, to the government, you guys need to get the church at the table. Like you're making all these decisions and you're not inviting right. the church to the table. And then somebody online was like, the only reason 
that, you know, uh, he wants to do that is because of money. So right. Right. Yeah. Motive or, yep. you know, why you're doing what you're doing without any interview, without any discussion, just base. And then what happened online is then the dialogue, hundreds of people are all going to race in there and agree with that and just reinforce, oh, you're only doing this because, you know, they second guess your, your authority. And, and there's a lot of people with opinions. And then the people that are like, well, we're not going to come back. We're, we're, going, we're going to wait a season. We're going to wait this out. Well, then they're like, well, that's because you're just under communism. And, <laughs> you know, you have fear. And, you know, God's not given us a spirit of fear. We all need to become, we need to come back now. And it's hard for leaders to make uh, decisions without people who sit at home criticizing the decision. Yep. But the reality is I don't know, I mean, I've got to be honest with you, in all the decisions of every church, so I've got friends that are back now. I've got friends that are back um, gradually coming back. Um, at City Church Chicago, we are not back yet. We are right. working our way back. I've got other friends who are not coming back into 2021. But there's not one that I know that is just like got a dartboard, go back or not go back, flinging a dart over his shoulder when it hits something, go, okay, the dart hit, let's go back. God must want us to go back. Right. Every pastor I know has spent hours in discussion, yes. Yes. conversations, onlines, differing opinions. Um, I sat on a thing the other day uh, and where, where John MacArthur's speaking and then Andy Stanley speaking and MacArthur's talking about why they should be back immediately and why this is wrong. And then Andy Stanley's talking about why he's waiting to 2021. And, and so there's big discuss people are thinking through. And so when you're, when pastors are making decisions about what we should do, it's generally based on a lot of input, yeah. a lot of prayer, yep. not just gut feel, uh, not panic and, and making the choice. And then when you second guess the opinion, it, it's, you know, you're basing it on conversations you haven't been involved in yep. or, you know, you're not carrying the weight of what they're, they're carrying. And so we're in a season right now where, um, where opinion has become a God. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, yes. And, and you can tell when opinion is a God when it demonizes every opinion that's differing. Yep. Yep. So, so some of the things that feed that past leadership failures and disappointments, social media, mainstream media, negative people, your own opinion, your own bias, your own upbringing. And at some point, you know, we have to surrender our opinion for the welfare of the vision. That's just the reality. Hmm. Brilliant. Talk to us. Um, talk to us about the next one. Talk to us about familiarity and dishonor. So the, the, the Bible says uh, in Genesis there, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Familiarity gives us permission to say and do things that honor would never allow us to have. Mm. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so, you know, they're walking in the garden. They are um, uh, in relationship with God on a, on a daily basis. And then honor is really high. But then there's a slide that takes you towards division. So, Honor is the highest level of the slide. Dishonor is not the base. The base of the slide is division. Yes. yes. And the way the slide works, it's honor, familiarity, 
contempt, dishonor, and then division. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walking with God in relationship with him, honor is high. Then familiarity comes in. It gives them permission to question God. Yeah, wow. Well, really say that. Yep. You're not really going to die. You know, it gives them permission to, to question God. Then contempt is, is generally like under the surface judgment or under the surface aggravation. It's things that are there that just get you questioning. So they're like, well, hang on a second. The tree is good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. It's desirable to make me wise. Why, why won't God let me? What's wrong with him? If it's good for food, why won't he allow me to have that? It looks good. Yep. It, it looks good to my eye. Why won't? So here's this underlying. They're not speaking that to God. This is underlying silent judgment. Then from contempt, it goes to dishonor. So dishonor is not the lack of honor. It's, yeah, say that. It doesn't mean that. there's no honor. It's just displaced honor. Yep. So where the honor was to God, I'm not going to eat off the tree. Now the honor goes on to themselves. Mm. I want this for myself. So they honor self over God. And then dishonor kicks in, it leads to division. They hide themselves from God and they're eventually kicked out of, of the garden. And mm. that slide you can pretty much take uh, all the way through the scripture from uh, and in life. In relationships, high honor is marriage. I love you. You know, you're my sweetheart. I want you above everybody else. Mm. Then familiarity kicks in and familiarity allows you to do and say things <laughs> that yeah. honor would never allow you to have. So, you know, you were dating, you, weren't be you wouldn't belch or pass right. yeah. in front of your spouse <laughs> And now you're in bed and you're Dutch oven them. You know, it's like um, I was in an elevator recently in in uh, California and uh, one of the guys in the elevator referred to his wife as the ball and chain, <laughs> which he probably didn't call her that when they were dating. Right, right, yeah. But if you've been together long enough. Doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, contempt, um, you start to fault find and nitpick. And now there's just little things that aggravate you about your spouse, just things that maybe even always been there, but now they just, they just tick you off. Then mm. dishonor comes when you start to look at somebody else who doesn't do that. Mm. If my wife would be more, Gosh. Like if my husband would be more like him and you start to fantasize. And now the honor is going from your spouse and it's going on to somebody else at work or somebody at church. So there's honor happening. It's just not going to the right location. And then if you allow that to play out, it'll, it'll lead to uh, division. Uh, when Jesus preached in the temple, honor, they were amazed and they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Familiarity kicks in. Hang on a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? He's not all that. We, we grew up with him. We know what he's like. We went to school with him. He was a little kid that we didn't like, you know, familiarity. Contempt kicks in. Jesus challenges it. I know what mm. you're going to say. The miracles you did in Capernaum do also in here. That leads to dishonor where they go to attack him and then division where they try to throw him off the edge of the cliff. Uh, Psalm 1, honor's high. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night. 
and then familiarity. You walk in the counsel of the ungodly, contempt, you stay in the pathway of the sinner, uh, dishonor, you sit in the seat of the scornful, and division, you become mm. like the chaff blown out by the wind. And wow. so that's, that, that process uh, flows pretty much all the time, and you've got to nip it in the bud in familiarity because familiarity is actually your enemy. Uh, and my question for you in all of that is, what do you say right now to the person? I, I would imagine that this season has leaders on varying degrees of a slide. I mean, pr- crisis does that, pressure does that. What would you say to the person that's on the slide down? Like, talk to that person for a second. Well, the only way you can do it is you've got to be able to reverse the trend. Mm. So uh, if, if you, it depends on what level you're at. If yes. You're yes. Real, if, if you're down at the bottom in division, the only way you can do it is go back the other way, which is repentance. Yes. yes. Head yes. back in the other direction. You've got to be something, I've, <laughs> I've wandered away from honor, and you've got to return back to your first love. Uh, the best way to be able to identify the honor slide is to, to nip it in the bud and familiarity. And, and that's probably the hardest out of all of those levels. Familiarity is probably the hardest one to turn around. Cause if you're in division or you're in dishonor, then you're at the cold end of the scale. Yep. You're not hot, you're not cold, but you're lukewarm. The, the hardest part to identify is in the familiarity stage because it's lukewarm. It's an unrecognizable state. You notice wow. something when it's hot. You notice something when it's cold. Mm. But when it's lukewarm, it's just like you don't even notice. You just you don't even know you're being familiar. So if you're being familiar, you've got to say, okay, how am I talking about my church? Yep. But let's take it to church, for instance. So when I'm familiar with church, I am now giving myself permission to do things that honor would never allow me to do. Mm. So things mm. would be like when honor's high, I'm at church early, I leave late. I'm involved on a team, I serve, I give, I worship. Familiarity says, well, oh, do I really need to go every week? Yep. Like, do I really need to watch every service online? Wow. Uh, do I really need to tithe? Um, you know, uh, surely, why, why can't I go just go to church once a month? Why, yep. why do I need to be super involved? I have a lot of other priorities in life. And so that's when familiarity starts to kick in. You just give yourself permission to do and say things that honor would never let you do. Contempt is uh, little things about church that aggravate you. Hmm. So are there, are there little aggravations? Oh, I don't like it when they do that song. I, I don't like it when they talk on that subject. Um, if I was the pastor of the church mm. is a perfect contempt. Mm. If I was the pastor of the church, I would wait till there's a vaccine. If I was the pastor of the church, I wouldn't have us back in service. If I was the pastor of the church, we'd be back now. If I was the pastor of the church, I wouldn't make everybody wear masks. If I was a pastor of the church, I wouldn't have them taking temperatures at the door. If I was the pastor of the church, I wouldn't have them signing waivers. If I was a part, so that's that silent judgment that you know how to handle the COVID thing in the church better than the leadership of the church. Yep. That's contempt. Dishonor is where now, you know, you're starting to look at other churches and other people online and you're listening to your own 
pastor less and you're giving, you know, Furtick more authority than your pastor. And, you know, and Stephen Furtick's now your pastor, not your pastor. But if you get sick in hospital, as great as Pastor Stephen Furtick is, right. he's not visiting you. Yep, 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 he, totally. to your hospital and checking out how you're doing. It's going to be the man or woman of God in your town that's going to look after you. Hmm. And so, you know, nothing wrong with other ministries. You have 10,000 instructors in Christ, the Bible says, but not yes. many fathers. Who is going to be the father? And then division comes when you're not only uh, leaving the church yourself, but you're taking people with you. Hmm. You're, you're poisoning other people and other people yep. are leaving as well. You've got like a little posse. So yep. whatever, wherever that is, you've got to like identify where you're at and, re- and, and repent yep. of that and, and head back. You just got that, that slide is brilliant, John, and, and that perspective is brilliant. You just got, I think, to the heart of what I just felt like I wanted to communicate in this and, and to maybe shine a light, maybe hold up a mirror to someone who's on the slide because the, the slide is reversible. You don't have to go that direction and disconnect from the place God has planted you and God has established you. Maybe, maybe it could be one of the enemy's greatest victories in this season. Well, I, I don't think you should ever leave in a, in a storm. Yes. Yes. So when I, when I, when I was pastoring in New Zealand, um, we're in like our second year and everything I was touching in youth ministry seemed to be turning to gold. I ran Youth Alive New Zealand. I was doing youth conferences, youth camps. Our conferences were get growing. Our rallies were seeing, you know, a couple of thousand students turn up and I was pioneering this church and I love the church because I like being the boss, but I didn't really love adults. And I remember we'd, we'd, we'd gone through a couple of different, ups and downs. I remember calling my pastor, Pastor Brian Houston, and I was like, Pastor, I feel like God could be calling me to youth ministry and maybe not pastoring. And he said to me, he said, uh, you just walk through a difficult time. He said, don't make a decision in the chaos. He said, if God's still speaking to you about this outside the chaos, then it could be God talking to you. But it's, he says, amazing how it can sound like God's voice and it can just be your voice in the chaos. Wait till you get to the other side. Yep. And so I did that. It was like eight years later. Very good. Um, hey, we're, we're, getting, we're getting to the end and we still have like five points to go. Um, <laughs> there's so much gold here. Would you just keep running us through? Because I want to I get this. Keep running us through just the steps really quickly on identifying division and and the steps to it um and again we're, we're just covering this today for the person that um is listening to this and experiencing it yourself as well as for someone like a team listening right now who this is this is giving you some tools to work with so why don't you just I guess, and, and leaders too so a leader can be like okay you know let's call margaret or phil or bill or harry whatever these are people in my team they're in this space Yes. So you, you don't want to go out and then beat them with this word, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the word and you want to beat them, but you will be able to go in and go, okay, I identify this in them and maybe as a leader you can start to reach out Yes. and, and connect with them and love on them and pray for them yes. and try to lead them out of that place. Uh, yes. So he, I'll just throw something out. Uh, get you to presume you know people's motives. Yes. 
so God knows in that day, uh, your eyes will be opened up. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. So the enemy tried to get them, Adam and Eve, to presume that they knew God's motives. And presumption will always rob you from fruitfulness. Yes. So in the parable of the, the talents, the lazy servant presumed he knew the motives of the master. Mm. He, he actually said to him, I knew you. I knew you. Yeah, hard man. A yeah. hard man, yep. reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Yep. But he presumed that he knew. And, and, and what presumption does is it fills in the blanks of missing information. Mm. Wow. There's a, there's a, if you ever get an opportunity to do it, there's a thing called um, um, unnecessary censorship. And they do it to the movie Frozen and other like songs. And what they do is they just they just put a beep in a word <laughs> and it makes it sound like a cuss word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, do you want to beep a snowman? This whole thing that that you you it's a, like a one minute fifty second clip that you couldn't play in church. Oh my gosh. Because they put the beep in inappropriate <laughs> places. And what happens is because the beep is there and they move a word, your brain fills the space. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I, I did that at a leadership retreat. I played the actual video on a leadership retreat <laughs> before I played it. I said, look, I've edited this down. There's a minute and 30 seconds of your life. And, um, and I said, some of you are going to want to walk out. Some of you are going to be angry at me. All I'm just asking you is don't leave. So I wouldn't do it in church on a Sunday, but this is like a leader's retreat. So I played this video clip of, of, of Frozen. <laughs> and, and then I asked people, how many people have seen the movie Frozen? How many people have played it to your kids? Everyone's hand. Okay, we're going to watch it. And the crowd's like shock and awe. Like, oh, I just can't believe you just played that. And I said, how many people were offended? And people put their hand up. You know, you're probably angry at me. I can't believe you played this bad video. I said, but the reality is we all know there are no cuss words. Yeah, yeah. In that song. Yep. And every cuss word you heard, your brain put it in there. Wow. Like you fill the gap. So the person you're angry with is not me. It's you. The person you should be angry with is you because you've got a jacked yeah. up mind. <laughs> but this is what presumption does. It fills the gap. Brilliant. The cuss word, even yeah. if we know it's not there. Gosh, so so you, you think about, um, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. And then what does he say? So have back what is yours. yours. Yeah. So he knew that the, he gave him the, the, the talent, yet his brain said, you can give me anything. Wow, gosh. That's what presumption does. It presumes it knows uh, the motives of other people. So don't, don't second guess the motives. We're only coming back to church because we need the money. We're only coming back to church because the pastor wants this. We're, you're only doing that because anytime that you presume on the motives, it's a seed of division. Uh, he makes you focus on the negative rather than the positive. So the woman mm. saw that it was good for food, delight to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. Like she's just focusing in all the garden, like they had the planet. Mm. They focus on one tree. So of all the good things that happen in church, make sure that the devil doesn't get you focusing on the one thing that you, you, do, not, you do not like. Um, another thing he'll do is he'll get you to deflect the problem away from yourself. Yep. 
not my issue, not my fault. The, the man said, the woman you gave me, she made me eat of the tree. The, the, mm. the woman said, uh, the serpent made me do it. And so when division comes in, very rarely do we identify it as our problem. We deflect it to be somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's issue. It's not my issue. I'm not at fault here. I'm not the problem. It's everybody else. And, and we, are, we are innocent. Uh, big thing here would be um, you cut down and criticize others so you can cover up your own issues. Mm. Now, this is a total separate topic. We could probably spend an hour just on this. But as soon as they sin, they find out they're naked. And mm. as soon as they discover they're naked, because now the sin's under judgment and their, their sin is exposed under the judgment light of God, they have to cut down fig trees or, or, or leaves. They have to use something else to cover up their own feeling of nakedness. Mm. So this is what happens when you when you when you're in sin or you're mm. in error, something needs to cover that. Wow. Something needs to cover that up. Mm. And generally what we'll do to cover up our own stuff is we'll become more judgmental on somebody else. Yep. We'll become more critical about other people. Mm. And then what this does is it creates this horrible cycle of judgment. So the Bible says, whatever measure you judge, it'll be measured back to you. So if I judge you unfairly, then I open up this cycle of judgment over me. And so now I feel exposed from heaven. So now I've got to criticize somebody else yeah. or somebody else down. And so um, people that are highly critical and highly judgmental about everybody else always sound more spiritual. Mm. Wow. But I would just tell you, don't trust them. Yep. Years ago when I was at Bible college, our, our principal, Dr. David Cartledge, uh, had us do a um, study on Jimmy Swaggart. And we had to do his autobiography or whatever it was. And, at the end of the question was, um, what do you think Swagger's biggest mistake is? Mm. And as a young Bible college student, I my my answer was, because my, my, my mom used to get his magazine, The Evangel, and my answer was, uh, I don't see any mistake that he's made by reading his, his uh, autobiography, but I feel from all the negativity, because he used to pull down everybody. He would, every magazine, he would attack somebody. And I said, all the negativity and the attacking in his magazine about other ministries make me feel like um, we're about to see something terrible happen. Mm. And I had no idea how prophetic I was. Wow. And it was just months later that we find out about him sleeping around or, you know, committing immorality you know, uh, he was busted. And mm. it's generally that when you are, if you've got that underlying sin or that underlying criticism or that underlying, you know, problem, then the best way to cover that up is just attack everybody else. So um, that, that's when people do, when, when they're really getting into division, very few people go, man, I messed up here. I've got the wrong thing. It's pastor's fault, the church's fault. 
you know, they'll find it. The, the, the more they start criticizing, the more faults they'll find until finally they leave. You know, John, this has been so good and so much gold today. And um, I really appreciate you holding up the mirror for all of us in this season. I think um, you, you, you hit it right at the beginning when you were talking isolation, isolation and, and, and this season. I mean, we're not, I'm not even in a shelter in place thing right now personally, but we still some ways feel isolated. You know, I isolated has birthed so much of this in our um, culture. Thank you for, for holding up the mirror. And I guess just showing us this today, of course, all this just leads, leads you to leave and disconnect from the place God has for you. So in our final minute here, would you just talk to the person that's at that place? And like, what would you just speak straight into their heart, straight into the soul, the person that is, is contemplating, leaving, taking someone with you, like talk to them for our final minute here. Yeah, I, I think there's two sides to that. One would be we're talking about leading second. And so hopefully the people that are listening to this podcast aren't in that zone. But I feel like I've seen it, though. I feel like I've seen it this summer, though. You know, They are potentially the people that are going to have to deal yes. with that. Yes. And so what I would say to all those people that are leading second and you've got people on your team that are leaving would be, first of all, don't take it personally. Don't internalize this like you're a mm. bad leader or you're a horrible person, or your pastor's horrible, or your church is horrible. That's what's happening. Leaders are personalizing it. They're making it personal. And they, when, you get a, when you take it personally, you get offended, you get hurt, and you can't lead in strength. So I would say to all the number twos that are listening right now, don't internalize it. Don't personalize it. Don't, yeah. don't make it about you. Realize it's a spirit of division. And the people that are in that role, don't attack them. Reach out, love on them, try to identify What's the step here that they're in and how can you bring an answer to that? How can you love on them and, and build a bridge to them rather than a wall? When people say they're leaving, we tend to get offended and we build a wall and there's no way back. And so you're just going to have to have a little bit more leeway. And, man, we love you. We would miss you. We don't want you to go. Um, you know, is there anything we can do? So you've got to minister to them. Uh, for those that are in teams and that are listening to this and – you, you're feeling like going, then identify it's not your pastor and it's not you. It's a, it's a divisive spirit and we're in a spiritual war and this is a perfect storm for the enemy to try to come in and make the church weaker yep. than uh, it, it needs to be. And so when you can identify and say, hang on a moment, this is not me, this is not my pastor, this is not the election year, this is not red versus blue. This is not about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. This is a spiritual attack on the thing that God loves. Yep. And I think that you just come to the point saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for allowing the enemy to sneak in and, you know, uh, mess up my life. And, and I'd also say this, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm not sure if this is a word for somebody uh, listening, but it could be that we we can come to the point where like, well, this is my choice. This is my decision. Mm-hmm. And my, my choice to leave doesn't hurt anybody. It's just about me. And I would say to you, no choice that you make is made in isolation. Every choice that you make is going to impact somebody else. Mm. 
And if you go back yep. to the original thought of any couple that could look around and say, who is this decision going to impact? Adam and Eve could have looked around in the garden and said, this is just about us. Yep. This, this decision is not going to impact anybody else except us. We have the right to make this decision because it's only about us. And thousands of years later, you and I are still being impacted by that decision because no decision you make is made in isolation. And so God says, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Yep. And this division is not just going to be about you attending another church. It could impact your children. It could impact your grandchildren. It could impact your neighbors. It could impact yep. the people you've been witnessing to. Division never stays in one place. It always have ripple effects that affects other people. And so I would say to you, if you're in a spirit of division right now, or you're feeling like that, stop, breathe, yes. pray, worship, address it, talk to leadership, because your decision, your decision to exit could have disastrous ramifications on you and your family for the future. Yep, absolutely. Hey, well said, my friend. I, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for always being a challenger in my life, in our world, to leaders everywhere. I I go so many places where your fingerprints are all over it, and um, your ministry is probably more necessary now than ever. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. We honor you today. God bless you, man. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Well, leading second, we love you so much. Uh, I pray that however you found this conversation today, I, I pray that something spoke to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit just revealed some things in you or talked to you today or gave you some tools on how to talk to someone in your world. I pray that it helps and I pray that um, you'll be strong and healthy as we move forward in this season as the local church. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, join us on Facebook at the Leading Second Collective. And also, if you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button however you're listening to this today. Uh, leave us a rating or a comment. Share this with someone who hasn't heard it yet. Let's get the word out and let's run strong for the kingdom together in this season. So Leading Second, we love you. Until next time, you know what I'm about to say here. Let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, you can go to leadingsecond.com and find our digital magazine. You can also follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond to keep up with our community of uncommon church builders. Oh,